Hey folks, welcome back to the DC Three Cast. I am Brian. With me, as always, are Vince and Zach. Vince is doing his favorite hobby of late, which is drop uh, pictures into our Skype chat. And uh, well, we'll get to those pictures in just a little bit. But we are here to talk about comics, specifically the comics that came out on uh, Wednesday, November 29th, 2017. If you haven't read them yet, pause the podcast, go read them, come back. We will be here to talk about them. Uh, we are also proud members of the Multiversity Podcast Network, so check out the other shows on the network. This week, I'm going to recommend you check out Comic Syllabus with our friend Paul Lai. He is uh, one of the nicest guys in the world, and he also produces one of the best comics podcasts in the world. And he's doing a great year-in-review series right now. It's absolutely worth checking out. So, uh, yeah, get to uh, get to that. We're going to get to these books. And, uh, Vince, you got to stop with this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It's distracting. I'm trying to oh, string together coherent the second to last one. The second to last one was the one that I... Saw the one that jumped out at me this week, so okay. good job. That was the real one. Yeah. All right. My wife left me. <laughs> uh, we're laughing because your life is sad. Um, not kidding. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the Aquaman Annual, number one, though. This issue was written by... Um, well, before we get to that, I just want to say one thing. So this this is a fifth Sunday, uh, fifth Wednesday, rather, Um so it means that DC put out predominantly annuals and other sort of, uh, you know, non-canonical, non-sequential books. W- with one exception, uh, we'll get to that later. But can we say this might be the best Fifth Wednesday release week from DC ever? Uh, yes, I, I think so. I I think so. I think it might be the best week of the year honestly that's that might be some crazy talk but uh i can get behind it it's pretty close i mean it's it's certainly pretty close but anyway aquaman annual number one written by philip kennedy johnson illustrated by max fumara fiumara rather and uh this so so both both vince and i included this issue in our top five single issues of the year the multiversity year-end polling. Unfortunately, it did not garner enough interest to make one of the top five spots. Although uh, our friend Justin Beeson also had it on his on his list there. Um, if if I had read it in time, it would have been for sure. So I mean, that's pretty high praise from the three of us guys. Is this is this one of the best Aquaman single issues ever? If not the best Aquaman single issue ever? best one i've read yeah yeah um man it was really good it's funny because it 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 does all the things that you shouldn't really do like it tells a story that doesn't have any real significance to the outs to the rest of the sort of shared aquaman story it rehashes a really great story that's already out there written by a legendary writer and it, you know it, it 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 looks and feels totally different than the current series that it's an annual for and yet i mean this is an incredibly effective issue 
on just about every single account. Yeah, I mean, first of all, the art was fantastic. Um, man, it was really good. And second of all, you know, in spite of all the things you mentioned, it being a what if, it being a retread, like, I feel like we get uh, at least three Black Mercy stories per year, it seems like. Yep. Um, but this was easily maybe the second best Black Mercy story I've ever read. Um, and the payoff at the end, like, really, really worked, I think. Yeah, I agree with all that. Vince, you, you came out of retirement to write a review about this. That's how yeah. strongly you felt about it. <laughs> I write like one or two reviews a year, and it's really just when I feel really strongly about a book. And like the second I closed this book, I was like, I got to email Brian and ask if I can call dibs on this one. Because it was so startlingly good to me, especially especially in the middle of the rebirth landscape. Cause like, like you guys have alluded to this story has been told before, you know, essentially. Um, and so, you know, but I, I don't really, unless something's like a blatant ripoff of someone else's ideas, I don't really, you know, comics corporate comics are about building off of the ideas of others and using them in different ways and or finding new things to say you know and i just felt like in the middle of rebirth uh and i allude to it in my review on the site so please go read it for like more detail than i'm going to use right now on the show but um i allude to dc's recent past with the new 52 and how um, for a while there, uh, Dan DiDio and company were kind of very staunchly, you know, superheroes can't get married, you know, they can maybe float in and out of relationships, but, you know, they need to be committed to their duties. And, and they'd sell you this line that, that it was because of the commitment that superheroes need to make. But in reality, it's because at that point they felt like, they were losing something in their readership or in sales or something by having these characters uh, advancing their lives in that way. You know, um, it's the same reason why uh, Marvel did the whole thing with uh, Peter Parker and Mary Jane, you know, 10 years ago or whenever that was. Um, and this issue, well, it's, it's many things. It's a, great Aquaman adventure. It's a story about the future, possible future of the justice league. It's a story about family. It's also a meta story about, uh, the way that we treat comic book characters or, you know, um, corporate owned properties and things like that. And, and, and I like the way that it toy. So essentially you spend most of the issue with Aquaman and Mira and their son, Tom Curry, and it's set in the future. They've built this uh, crown spire city that links land and sea together. They finally realized their vision for, for bringing the two aspects of, of uh, Arthur together, you know, which is the great Aquaman question. You know, that's the thing that's always 
Every every time there's an Aquaman reset, it's back to the question of can can he reconcile the two sides of his existence? And uh, this is another que- uh, issue that attempts to answer that question. And then, uh, spoiler alert, the rug gets pulled out from under them at the end. And so it really becomes a story about, uh, you know, can we can we give superheroes the future that they deserve or that they would desire, you know? And um, I talk about it in a very meta sense, like that it's about the way that uh, corporate comics keep, keep rebirthing to keep things stagnant or slow moving because readers are afraid of change, but really that's not giving the book enough credit for how heartfelt it is. Like, I feel like when I, when I describe it, I get excited about the meta aspects, but even if you're not excited about that, there's a really like heart wrenching story here. You know, (laughs) when, when, when it all goes away at the end, like it's surprisingly emotionally effective, even though you know, it's going to happen. Right. Um, so I just, I'm in love with this issue, uh, head over heels guys. (laughs) If you couldn't tell, I, I wanted to echo something Zach said, which is that you know Max Fumara does such great work here, but specifically I love the way he draws old Superman. <laughs> uh, that's it's you know he hasn't aged visually all that much. It's a little bit grayer on the temples. His face is a little bit worse for the wear, uh, but overall he just draws these characters with so much character. Pardon the double use of the word character but so much character and so much life built into them. But I think the best character he draws is Tom. He really, really just nails the look of that kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Man, all the characters look so good, though. I really I really like the old Hal Jordan design a lot. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's such a great look because it – it kind of reminds me of the awful DCU Hal Jordan, oh, um, with the greasy hair, with the like, and and <laughs> just like the long trench coat. Whereas like here, he's like you know he's just in his like civvies basically, you know, but he's got that cool Green Lantern construct arm. But I don't know, it's it it feels like in the same wheelhouse as far as designs go. But this one is so much better. Um. And man, those constructs that he draws, um, I'm thinking on page, um, on the, um, on Comixology, it's page 11. Mm -hmm. I want, I want this team to do a Green Lantern book now. (laughs) And like, and and I want, you know, I've never heard of um, Philip K. Johnson before, Um, but where has that guy been? I believe he was a member of one of their uh, new talent searches, too. Oh, he does the Warlords of Appalachia book. Okay. Um, from Boom. I've heard that. Which I've not read, but it sounds pretty interesting. I'm going to have to give definitely give him some more attention um, and hope that he does some more stuff for DC. I know Vince was chatting with him a bit via Twitter. Yeah. Yep. Uh, yeah. He follows me on Twitter now. So, uh, hi, Philip. 
<laughs> I I just I like slobbered all over his book to the point where I think he felt he had to follow me. Um, Man, if I don't follow this kid, he's gonna kill himself. I gotta. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and now he's gonna find that you know rather than talking about comics, I talk about existential dread and dick jokes. So so and the Packers less so lately. <laughs> that that is true. <laughs> More dildos, less Packers. <laughs> <laughs> That's your catchphrase for 2018. Yeah, yeah, that is my solemn vow. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, uh, you know, the more I think about this, the more that, I mean, this is such a, this is such a Alan Moore, Superman, riff, like in, in almost every way. Like you get there, there's the kid element to it. You know, there, there's so much of it there. Yet, I don't know if it's just that Fumara's work is so distinct and different that helps it not feel like such a conceptual retread. But man, there's not a missed note in this entire book. No. Everything they go for, just, it, it, it lands. It lands every single time. Do you think, uh, do you think Fumara would ever do like, a regular run on DC on a DC comic, like or even just an arc. I think you do an arc. Yeah, he's done. A, he do a Superman book recently. Yeah, I thought it was. Two? I thought it was just an issue or two. I, I want like a full arc. I I know he's like done a lot of stuff at Marvel. Has he ever done like long runs, or has it usually been like shorter things? He and his brother did the majority, if not the entirety, of the Abe Sapien ongoing. Yeah, that's not Marvel or DC. Oh, so, what I'm, so what I'm saying is, though, like, oh. but, so, so he... But I, but I want to say there were, there were some delays involved with their artwork, so I don't know if he's, okay. if he's of the speed um, to get there. Apparently, I'm not of the speed to please Vince, because I paused for a moment and he uh, jumped on <laughs> the dick for it, so... Uh, <laughs> Well, he he looks for any excuse to do that. So. He certainly does. He certainly does. Uh, so uh, I hate you both. <laughs> uh, but anything else to say besides just how great this book is? Um, I mean, I don't know. We could like continue to just like gush over it for a few more minutes if we want. I don't know. <laughs> I want to say that uh, you know, I I'm not somebody who gets, I'm somebody who cries over music music more than books in general, and I I was not like full on sobbing at the end, but I was getting a little misty at the end there, with the uh, with Tom melting away, and then you know I also really appreciated how they gave a little epilogue and said that you know the Arthur and Mira need to sort of figure shit out again because they were through this and it. it so many times the consequences of these superhero titles just wind up being, you know, uh, addressed and changed before the issue's even over. Whereas this gave the idea that this, that this event would, would have stuck with them for quite some time. And I appreciated that. Yeah. And that's the part that, that's the part that sold the net, the meta narrative for me too, because that part to me works both as an incredibly effective, like emotional button, but also like 
also a meta comment on like, well, here we are again. We're just Arthur and Mira and we're kind of in limbo. Maybe someday we'll have our son again. Maybe someday we'll have a son again. Will will we ever be allowed to have a future, you know, mm-hmm. or are we just going to keep doing this over and over again? Um, is the new 52 going to happen over and over again, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's shift over to the next book then. We're going to talk about the Batman annual number two, which was written by your friend and mine, Tom King, illustrated by Lee Weeks and Michael Lark. And, uh, this is another title from this week that garnered a couple of, uh, top five of the year votes at Multiversity. I don't know if I'm willing to go that far, but I I will say that I enjoyed parts of this issue quite a bit. I liked this issue a lot. Um, I think this is Tom King's best Batman issue. Like, by a long shot. Better than the Ace the Bat-Hound one from last year with Lee Weeks? Oh, I didn't even like that. That wasn't Lee Weeks, though. That was David Finch. I'm sorry, that was... What? No, didn't Weeks do that? No. What did Weeks do with King recently? He did uh, Elmer Fudd. Yeah, I'm sorry. You're right. I'm sorry. Um... <laughs> um... I just thought this issue was really fun. It um, maybe did the best job of selling the the bat cat relationship, and I and I mean it like specifically, like you know, emphasis on the bat and the cat <laughs> bit. Thing, you know that he's like so stuck, is like sold on, um, and, and just I, you know, I kept. I, I guess I should like preface this with, um, you know, before this issue came out there, that double page spread just kept getting passed along the internet, like, like crazy. I kept just seeing people repost it and talking about how this was going to be the best issue of the year while secretly in my head, I was just like, yeah, no, it's just going to be another Tom King Batman issue. <laughs> um, but then like I read it and I was like, I, you know, I kind of had to, pull my foot out of my mouth because it actually I I feel like this is the first Tom King Batman issue that really got the what Batman is you know Mm -hmm. it it, it, I don't know It, it felt like a Batman story to me and not just like a Batman story, but with it, you know, kind of the way it ends, it's kind of, I don't want to say like a definitive Batman story, but it's one of, it's one like, like some of the annuals we've talked about before, um, you know, like the Aquaman one and, and for the man who has everything, it's like one of those stories that could kind of stand on its own as like a, a very quintessential Batman story. Hit us, Vincey. What do you think? Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty, 
pretty much with Zach here. Um, down to the part about like being skeptical when everyone was like praising it and then reading it and being like, no, no, it really is that good. I mean, you um, love the last issue though, so this is right. In line I love the. Uh, <laughs> it's true. Maybe maybe Tom King is good again. Can, oh, you, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah. No, uh-huh. I loved I loved how this was a game of uh, it was like a literal game of cat and uh, flater flater mouse, I guess. <laughs> um, Rat with wings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that's right. Um, Lee Weeks, you guys. Lee Weeks is a master. Yeah. Uh, you know, we always say stuff like, "Oh, I wish, I wish," you know artists like Lee Weeks could be, could do like a regular run or do like a, do an arc on a book or something. But I I think I've decided with this issue that if Lee Weeks does like two issues a year that are this good from beginning to end, uh, day and you, you know, <laughs> that's, that's enough for me. Um, well, and, and this is, I mean, I, I remember when he was doing the the like Superman stuff with Jurgens, and I thought that was really good. This this blows that out of the water. Oh, this is crazy good, and it's like I, I don't even know where to stop praising it because every single panel is special. I think, um, and it's so consistent from beginning to end. There's like no there's no drop in quality. Just the you know. Selena dropping into the Batmobile, every one of her facial expressions, like when she's sitting, when you see her head on in the cockpit and she says meow, that is such a perfect Catwoman face, you know, it's, it's so like mysterious and like sexy, but like fun and just, you know, excited to be doing something bad. Right. (laughs) And like, then when she drives away and like the she's like screaming or you know whatever that expression is it's just per, it's just this perfect you know or Bruce when he's chasing her and and she says Bruce Wayne and he stops and he's got like the the eyebrow raise it's just the perfect face and every choice Lee Weeks makes is like like I believe all the body language. Like when Bruce is like looking around after he hear after his pen is gone, you know, and then he hears like the meow. Just like the way that Bruce contorts, it looks like a big man who could be Batman, but like it's so animated, you know? Mm, yeah. Um God, yeah. it's it's and then the then when they're both on the roof later in the issue and like one page on the left is Batman and the, on the right, it's Selena, and he's saying, why? That, that's like, <laughs> that's magnificent, you know? That's, that's epic in a way that Batman... Uh, that this or, kind of, like, Batman-Catwoman thing hasn't really been. Yeah, or any of Tom King's Batman yeah. to date, you know? I guess, like, the dialogue really has really annoyed me all, all the time with him, but one of the things that really annoys me is that I, I don't feel like he's got a great stable of artists to work with. Mm-hmm. I don't feel you get a lot of those really epic artistic moments from it. And like, that's what, that's what tickled me about the Joel Jones issue, because I really felt like he let Joel go wild with that sword fight between 
uh, Talia and Selena, right? Mm-hmm. And I feel that kind of here again with um, with with Lee Weeks. I guess he sort of did that with Bane and and David Finch, but maybe because I'm not as much of a Finch fan, like it just didn't come home for me, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but 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 man, Lee Weeks just just owns this. And if I have any criticisms about the issue, there's still some. There's a very specific dialogue thing that I don't like that King is just going to do until the end of time. And he's just the way that he writes, and he's never going to change. And I guess I just need to get used to it. But it's it's I've pinned it down. It's when it's when one character says a phrase, and then another character repeats it or does a slight variation on it, but then a different word is bolded. So like, there's one scene where it's the Jeff Garland. It is. We've talked about this before. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. It, it is. Like, you do, you do what? <laughs> you know. I went to the store. You went to the store? Yeah, exactly. You went to the store, yeah. Cashier. Yeah. No, yeah. But, like, when Bruce says, I'm going to catch you, and then, like, two panels later, he says, I am going to catch you, you know? Yeah. That's not, that's, the whatever emphasis he's trying to go for there doesn't, almost never works for me, you know? And that didn't really change about this issue, but I feel like there was so little of that. Plus, the artistic storytelling package was so strong that, you know, if every Tom King uh, bat issue is this well-realized, even if it has some dialogue that annoys me, I'm going to come around on Tom King's run eventually. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? but, but to me, also, that's an impossible task. Yeah, You're right. You're right. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead, there, Zach. I'm gonna, uh, then I'm going to share uh, my thoughts. Okay, I was going to say, there are some like genuinely funny lines in this book, too. Um, one, I think one of my favorites is the part where they're in Bruce's office or whatever, and they're kind of like recreating the scene from Dark Knight Rises, basically, with the, the safe and the pearls. Uh-huh. But, um, you know, it's, it's starting to get a little hot and heavy, and there's that panel where it cuts away, and it says, Bruce is like, please, you, shouldn't touch you know, my... you shouldn't touch my... <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, I love that scene. Like, that was so good. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. That was that made me blush actually. <laughs> um, so I, I I liked this issue. I, I I don't know. I loved it as much as you guys did, but I also think that I have the least tolerance for Tom King bullshit at this point <laughs> than either of you guys do. I guess um, I thought it was me, but it's not. No, you love no. the last one too. You, I know, uh, I know. I'm that's why I'm I'm including that in my yes. Yeah. Um, one thing, by the way, that I don't think we've talked about yet, but King did it all the time in Omega Men, and does it again here. I think he might do it in the Vision too, is he loves having characters sing to themselves. Oh, like okay. to, both Alfred and Bruce at different points in this book are like singing to themselves. And that was something that happened in Omega Man all the time. It was the same song. It was that like, uh, yeah, the, the yeah, like, the, like the folk song or whatever that was, you know, yeah. part of that story. Um, so well, to, to be to be fair, Brian, I I find often find myself walking around my own house singing, "Oh, baby, I hear the blues are calling, <laughs> toss good. salads and scrambled eggs." Mercy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, uh, I I don't disagree with you. I do. I also find myself singing the Fraser theme. And also saying, Niles, this is the worst city you've ever had. Um, but 
But no, that's just, that's just a king isn't my notice while reading this issue. But you know, I I still think there's a fair amount of of king shitty dialogue in this. I just think that, and I know, like for myself, the Lee Weeks art just mesmerizes me to an extent where I can put up with that shitty dialogue. But I don't think this is all that much better written an issue of Batman than we've gotten. It is certainly a little bit better. But I don't think it's head and shoulders better. I think it's just that the art is so perfectly done that that we don't notice the words so much, which is kind of how comics should be. The comics are a visual medium. If uh, so, Jeff Lemire just said to me, I was interviewing him for the site this week, and he said, like a poorly drawn comic is going to suck far more than a beautifully drawn, poorly scripted comic. Man, yeah. we're gonna get to that with the new talent <laughs> showcase in oh. spades, but <laughs> we shall see. Um, but like, you know, so I, I feel like there's a lot of just weeks just does such like, okay, here's the thing that Vince talks about. It's page, uh, let's see, 26. Bruce says, why do you care if I live or die? Do you care if I live or die? Mm -hmm. Is what, is what Catwoman says. It's different. We're different. Bruce says, you know, uh, yeah, it's just, there, there's so much of that still. And I still hate the fucking cat and bat thing i um <laughs> but you know but i but i will say that more or less like you said if this was how the every week tom king batman book read i would have nowhere near the problems with that book that we have on a week-to-week basis mm-hmm. um i want to get to the last eight pages which are drawn by Michael Lark, making his mm. first DC appearance in how many years? Oh, I don't know. I, I think a, a fair amount of time has passed. It's been a, for sure. Like it was at least a decade ago. Uh huh. Yeah. Or is it? What? What was it? Was it? I mean, it was. He definitely did Gotham Central. Did he do anything other than that? I'm not sure. <sighs> Yeah, I don't know. Regardless, you know, he's back for this. This is a story. He's good again. He's good again. He was, he was never not good. Uh, <laughs> read Lazarus, folks. Um, but he, uh, you know, he, he handles this very, very later in life story for Bruce and, uh, and Selena. And this is where it gets really interesting to me, this book. Um, I find it really interesting that this book came out the same week as the Aquaman annual and the Green Arrow annual, because mm. all three of them kind of travel the same ground in some ways. This one does it in the most serious way, and the way that feels the most, uh, uh, I canon? Mean, maybe canon, yeah, maybe that's the way I'm looking at it, you know, I feel like this, this could be the end of Bruce Wayne's life. Right, which is, that's kind of what I was trying to get at with my, like, definitive Batman story comment. Mm -hmm. Now, Vince, I want to talk to you about this because you oh, texted me something really interesting about, yeah. the, about, the, the, about the, uh, the boat and the street thing. So, so... Yeah, so I was just trying to figure out because Tom King keeps going back to this, you know, we met on the boat. No, it was the street thing. And 
something that we've always said about Tom King's Batman since the beginning, even though we haven't liked it, is that it's interesting, even if it doesn't really work, how Tom King tries to write a Batman that is like Frank Miller's Batman, but also Adam West, <laughs> Adam West Batman, you know, and, and everything in between, but not in like the Grant Morrison way where everything tonally is right, even though everything counts and everything is tonally correct, like his tones all over the place. But it, it got me thinking about, um, it got me thinking about, uh, this, this boat and street argument that, uh, Bruce and Selena keep having. And it got to the point where I thought like, this is no longer just an annoying Tom King dialogue thing. This has got to be a comment on something. So I need to figure this out. And, uh, you know, on the one hand, it could just be a couple bickering. And this is the thing that, you know, a superhero, super villain, whatever you want to call it, couple, uh, would bicker over, but I thought there's got to be like a canon explanation for this disagreement, and I think what we figured out was that the very first time Bruce and Selina meet in DC Comics, like way back in the 40s or 50s or whatever it was, when whenever Catwoman Catwoman was introduced. Mm-hmm. It was it was on a yacht, right, right. And Which so is, was, yeah, that was in and and that was demonstrated in that one of those rooftop issues that um, that Mitch Garrods did. Yep, um, and he drew them in the two different styles. That's right. So then, what what? is the street story. I think it's year one. Okay. That was my suggestion to Brian. Yeah. I, but I, I was, I was, I was in the middle of doing something else. I couldn't look like I, I just briefly skimmed through it. and I didn't see but them meet it on the street. I'm but, only basing that on the fact that in the, in that issue, his style looks a lot like, I feel like it's kind of like aping Mazza, Kelly. Oh, see. And I, okay. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't pick up on that at all. See, and I would have texted you about this too, Zach, except that I didn't think you had, re- you, you hadn't read this issue yet. And so I didn't want to spoil it for you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but are you going where I think you're going? That, where are go you going on. with this? Go go on, go on. Is, are, are you theorizing that um, this is like an alternate realities Batman that's been displaced? Well, here, what I'm, or are you theorizing that maybe Batman has a brain tumor and <laughs> he has like faulty memory? Well, we're gonna find out that this Batman is Adrian Fight, <laughs> and he does have a brain tumor. Oh, are you kidding me? <laughs> no, I. <laughs> is that your theory? No, that's not my theory. Because that would no. be wild. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> I, I don't I don't have a theory in the sense that I p- believe that this is a concrete uh, explanation or that this is where the book is going, but it's a thought I had, which is that we see uh, Bruce and Selena's daughter, and it's Helena Wayne, right? Mm-hmm. 
And it's kind of messes it up for me because she's in she's in very much an outfit that's like a Batman or a Batwoman outfit rather than a Huntress outfit, you know. Mm-hmm. But it got me thinking, like, so is this supposed to be the future of the Prime Earth, or is this like an Earth two? Could this Coda be Earth two and not the actual? like Bruce and Selena that we're watching or is this, or is Tom King just, does it not matter? Like the thing that I want for comics is for them to feel free to do stuff like this and for it to not matter whether it's prime earth or earth two, because it hits such a sweet note where the, the context doesn't matter as much, but it had me thinking, is this, is this an earth two thing? Um, because it's like, that's the earth that they were married on. And plus, because mm-hmm. plus, because there's a point in these last eight pages where Bruce says something like, there's another Batman out there who never married. And, uh, I want you to find Barry. He'll find the other me and that, that me will take that Batman will take care of you or whatever he says. And it just got me thinking, like, who's the Batman that's always alone then? Like, what is this supposed... Who is he talking about? You know? Mm. That's and, and I don't think there is necessarily a definitive answer. Like, I don't think this is some Jeff Johns-esque mystery that we're going to find out six months from now, you know? But right. I just think, it, I think it's interesting that, that King even went there, you know? Yeah, to the way I read it was slightly different, and I, I think my reading of it was influenced by what by what Vince said to me. Um, my second reading of it, rather, but I took this as being this is the Batman reality we haven't hit yet, in that there hasn't been a Batman reborn the way there was a Superman reborn yet. Like in that Superman reborn story, we got all the versions of Superman aligning into one reality, right? There was no more New 52 Superman and post-crisis Superman. It was the same person. So I kind of took this as, this is that for Batman. This is the, there is no more uh, pre-crisis, post-crisis Batman. Because he didn't really change it in, in the New 52, you know? So this is now, this is the united version of of Batman that sort of encompasses everything about the character's 80-year history. Mm. So this is the definitive end. Yes. To me, I mean, look, it's not going to be. We know that. Well, I know. know, But yes, but it it feels like the definitive end. This is the definitive Batman meeting his definitive end. I'm surprised they let Tom King go there then. Because it's not going to be anything. It really isn't. Well, I know, but but then it gives, you know, it seems to preclude another writer from doing it a different way. Even though it technically doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's... You know what I'm saying? Yeah. I'm, I... I in in some ways, it doesn't seem that like dissimilar to what Jeff Johns did at the end of Green Lantern, you know, where he wrote his definitive ends. Right. Um, although this feels like 
uh, a little bit removed from that because that was the end of a very long run. And this, you know, King is very much still just getting going. You know, he's got plenty of time to revisit this several times and then cap it off after, you know, 6100. Yeah. I mean, when we get, when we get the 100 page issue 100. Yeah. And to be fair, I mean, Scott Snyder six months ago, and not even in, in New York Comic Con, he announced that he and Sean Murphy are doing that last Batman story, which is the definitive end of Batman. <laughs> True. So it's yeah. not like, you know, there's, this is all bullshit. We recognize that. Um, right, right. But what I, what I want to say about this, though, is, um, you know, the only way Batman is going to stop being published is if there are no longer humans on the Earth. Mm-hmm. And so I never see Batman really ending. There's never going to be... When Batman stops ending, it's because Kim Jong Un knocked uh, nuked us. Like that's it. Like that's gonna be the reason it ends. It's not gonna be because DC decides like, no, it's time to finally stop publishing yeah. Batman comics. So because there will never really be an ending, fuck it, man, write an ending. Well, I yes, and I understand that. I, the 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 only pushback I really have is that idea that Tom King includes the part about the alternate Batman. You know, like. I, I, I understand the entire concept of Batman's going to go on forever. You know, that's, uh-huh. that's ground that Grant Morrison richly covered, you know? Um, but I mean, that's comics, but it's just, we, it, the, the part about him saying there's another Batman that never married. <laughs> it's just, that throws me for such a loop. See, to me, that's just like nodding to the multiversal nature of Batman. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Uh, but this is, you know, among the two or three best things Tom King has ever written for Batman. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think it's uh, it's funny. Um, Multiversity contributor Alexander Jones had emailed me last week and said, like, you know, have you read Alex this? Alex Jones. <laughs> different Alex Jones. Uh, have you read this issue of Batman yet? And I hadn't yet. And he said, I need to talk to you afterwards. He said, I think this is the most Tom King issue of Batman thus far, and uh, I, th- I thought it was really hard to get through. And mm. so that was before mm. I spoke to you, Vince, and so I uh, I feel like this this is an issue that, like, you know, we, we've said in the past how one of the things that we think we're okay at is treating each issue like a blank slate to a certain degree and not letting our previous thoughts about a run influence if an issue is really good or really bad and so i think that maybe this might be just you know if you don't have the stomach for tom king i don't know if this issue is if you never had the stomach for tom king or you lost it quickly and violently you might still dislike this issue but to me this is this is one of the best king batman issues easily if not the best one yeah did i mention my wife left me you did Maybe that's why I like this so much. Because you want to die? <laughs> <laughs> she, she didn't really leave me, know, folks. Just so, just so. Okay. <laughs> she's just packing her bags. <laughs> she's no, she's it was her birthday actually over the weekend and she has the same birthday as her trainer Lance. <laughs> and uh, they went away for their birthdays. Which I thought was a little weird, but I hope I hope they're having a good time. Yeah. Well, Lance is a stand-up guy. I'm sure he's uh, treating like a lady. 
Way better than Chad. You'll never believe what Chad did. I'll tell I'll tell you off air. Okay, that works. Um let's let's talk about the other bat book of the week, which is Batman Creature of the Night number one. Do we know how many issues this is, by the way? Four? It's three. Oh, or that four. sounds right. Yeah. Um but this is a uh, an alternate another alternate Batman story. Uh this time though it is um it's set, I guess, in well, in the beginning of the book, you think it's set in the quote real world, in our world. But as the book goes on, that becomes clear that's not exactly the case. Um But this issue this this rather this miniseries is illustrated by the great John Paul Leon, who we recently saw do some Mother Panic stuff, and written by Kurt Busick. And uh guys, this is another good issue, I think. I didn't like this. Whoa! Speak on it, Zach. Yeah, so, I'm kind of speechless. So, I really like Secret Identity. It's been a few years since I've read it, so I'm a little fuzzy on some of the details, but I do remember being a big fan of it um, when I read it. Um, and I, I guess, like, for anyone who doesn't know, Secret Identity is a book that Kurt Busiek did with... Um, was it Eminem? Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Um, that was essentially the same premise. It was about a boy who had a name very similar to Clark Kent, and he was in the real world, um, and he ended up getting, you know, having, like, Superman-like powers. And it was basically, you know, kind of a, a boy who was like Superman and grew up reading Superman. He was essentially, like, Superboy Prime if he was good. Um and that's what this is with Batman. And I kind of really hate that. Um, like, as I was reading this, and we started to, like, retread all of the, like, Batman tropes in the most, like, groan-worthy way, and we had to recreate Bruce Wayne beat for beat, but just, like, slightly differently... And then oh, I just hated it. <laughs> Ooh, well, I hate. Oh man, I really didn't like it. I mean, there were a few things I liked, and the twist um, about you know how kind of this Batman manifests is promising, and so I think there is hope that I might like the series as it goes on. But at least like the first half of the issue, I was just. Mm, not feeling it. Mm. I mean, a lot of what you're saying is not wrong, Zach. Uh, I mm-hmm. understand the way you feel. However, I think that, first of all, visually, this thing is such a treat. It looks really good. But I also just feel like, up to a point, there was a there was a very long time reading this issue, probably twenty thirty pages, because it's a you know it's a pretty lengthy issue. It's about fifty pages, so for at least half of it, I was thinking this book doesn't really need to exist. <laughs> what is this? Yeah. What is this book doing mm-hmm. that justifies its? You know, it 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 felt like. It was just retreading secret identity in a really uninteresting way. Mm-hmm. 
kind of left us speechless here, Zach. Uh, I do what I can. Well, Zach has been sacked, folks. Um, <laughs> Alex W. No. Castle will be joining us as the third member of the DC. No. Um, no, I agree with Brian in that I think you are making a lot of accurate points. Like, even though I liked this issue, I had to admit that every time they were like, oh, it's Officer Gordon. Oh, like Jim Gordon? <laughs> like, no, uh, Gordon. No, Gordon Ramsay. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gordon Ramsay's Gotham he's, Nightmare. He's my uh, Uncle Alfred. Yeah. <laughs> Bruce Wainwright. We're so sorry, Uncle Albert. notified me. Commissioner Gordon notified me. There you go. Hands across the water. Water. <laughs> I was talking last night to Magneto and Titanium Man. In the Crimson Dynamo. All right. You got to clip this McCartney jag. Um, so, uh, no, it's so my only way to cope with Zach being. Uh... <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, there were. See, to, to me. Uh, see. On one hand, Zach, you are so, so right. I completely understand and appreciate what you're saying. On the other hand, we literally, isn't it better for Busick to be ripping off himself in a way? And again, I'm not shitting on this book. I adore this book. But like the Aquaman annual is somebody taking an Alan Moore idea and just redoing it. And isn't that in some ways more crass than just taking an idea you've done already and applying it differently? I mean, I guess, like, I don't, I mean, I like, with exactly what the Aquaman is, what, what the, I know you're not making me angry at all, but, like, I, I'm just trying to, like, think of how I want to say this. I, I, the Aquaman annual is less offensive to me in that regard because it's, it's one creator doing his riff on what someone else has done and putting his own spin on it. This feels like Busek retreading old ground. It feels like moving backwards rather than moving forward in an interesting way. This feels like returning to the well, you know? See, now, the vibe I got from this is kind of... And again, they're, they're very different. So I'm not comparing apples to apples here. But is the, um, the way that the Marvel, like... What were they called? Like the color miniseries, the 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 uh, Jeff Loeb yeah. Sale ones, oh, like yeah. you know, Spider-Man Blue, yeah, and Daredevil right, right. and all that. How it's just like you know, here's here's a pair of creators who have a way of doing things, and we're gonna let them do this thing a couple times over. Mm-hmm. And and I understand why that may not be your thing, and I understand. Did you like Secret Origin? Um, um, Secret Identity. Yeah, yeah, I said I liked it when I when I read it. Uh-huh. Um, again, it's been a few years ago, but I really liked it. And and honestly, like maybe that just comes down to I like Superman's origin way better than I do Batman's origin. I get so tired of retreading Batman's origin, and so that probably played into that a lot too. Mm. Um, in addition to all the on the nose like naming things. Yeah, I I think what ended up working for me so much is that 
as it systematically goes through Bruce's origin, it's it's so much more brutal, not in like a violent way, but I mean like brutal in pretty unforgiving. So because of circumstances, he can't go live with Alfred, you know? Uh, he travels the world, but it's as this like sort of uh, pushed aside kid who just gets to ride horses and stuff and doesn't actually isn't actually doing what he wants to do, doesn't feel like he belongs anywhere. You know, there's no real community. Um, the the killing of his parents itself is more realistic and brutal, including the fact that he ends up getting shot in it, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that felt a lot more real to me. And so it felt like every step of the way, like in order to sell a story like this, you, Kurt Busick really had to sell that Bruce's childhood would have been miserable. And yeah. that really worked. Like I felt that the whole way through. Yeah. This very much to me felt like, the idea of what if Batman could never become and, and and to me the twist at the end undoes what I'm about to say, but hear me out. Like the first half of the book, I felt like, oh, this is if Batman was a real person and therefore couldn't be trained by the League of Assassins and all those things. Like if you know, it's just a kid whose parents die and he's fucked up because of it. And his life is not this magical, enchanted, you know, hero's journey. It's just a sad orphan's tale. Yeah, and it's also it's also not angsty. Like, we've seen versions of this story where it's just angst, angst, angst. And and I feel like uh, John Paul Leone's, uh, like, understated art, as well as sort of the... The, there's something about the way that Busiek writes it where it's like it's not um, it's not cynical it's not angry it's not like pissed at the world although Bruce gets angry once or twice you know but like it's sad more than anything else he's defeated you know yeah yeah and that worked really well for me. So so while I agree with all the stuff that Zach says, and I felt a little bit of it, like, ultimately that sad emotional core really ended up working for me. I'm glad it was more sad than, uh, you know, teenage angst or whatever. Yeah. That's fine. I'm, I'm just a Scrooge. That's... I just, yeah, I just, like, I... I just didn't need this story and like, I, I don't know it. And that's what it kept coming back to. It's like, there were definitely things I liked about it. Um, I liked the supernatural angle. I liked all the things that you kind of talked about the, the maybe the ways it kind of improved on the Batman origin story. Um, I thought the stuff with Alfred was really interesting. I maybe, Maybe I misread this, but like based on the time frame and kind of how they were, the dialogue, were we supposed to take away that? Yeah, okay, that's what I thought. Okay. 
um, which is, you know, interesting that they made it a period piece and are like kind of addressing that, that issue in a really, really, I mean, I thought fairly subtle way. Um, Mm -hmm. There's a lot of interesting things going on here. And so, like I said, I think I could come around on this series. It's just this first issue didn't win me over. Sure. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, but you guys I weren't expecting I, that. No, I wasn't. Uh, but, <laughs> but you know what? I'm not. I'm not. I ain't mad, Zach. I ain't mad. Um, no, that's fair. That's totally fair. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> I will say that a a new Batman story. <laughs> that retells an origin is like the least appealing thing in the world to me at this point. Yes. Um, so I'm actually surprised at how much I ended up liking this, especially considering it was 48 story pages long. And, uh, but I did. So what can I say? I guess I'm not entirely sick of him yet. I think I'm getting pretty sick of Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's talk about the Green Arrow Annual, number one. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, written this... by Ben Percy, illustrated by Eleanor Carlini. Go ahead, Vince. This was a lot. This was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this this was like a... This story should have been the length of a story in the new talent showcase. <laughs> like uh, a six or eight pager telling a very simple story and instead it was 30 story pages but yes yep but i'm or, I'm not almost saying 40, almost 40 almost 40 yeah Th- 38 i believe yeah i'm i'm not saying i liked this okay let, let me get that out there right right <laughs> off the bat no 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 it's it's not i didn't i didn't like it but there were about a dozen moments that made me just like either laugh or go huh? <laughs> <laughs> or like it so you had was... the full home improvement experience looks like it's back to prison for me yeah. <laughs> 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 uh, <laughs> this has been your obscure Simpsons reference of the night yeah, uh, but like as as soon as he took the VR headset off, I was like, "What is this? Come on, you know? Um, like, why did he imagine bees in the? Yeah. You know, big Tommy Boy fan. I guess, yeah. And then, uh, and then, <laughs> just, just wait. Then, like when when young Ollie walks in and his mom's in the living room, that was weirdly, weirdly sexual. I hope those gifts are for our family. I admire how you keep buying presents for the shelters around Seattle, but we can't forget to celebrate ourselves. And her hand, her hands are like unbuttoning her blouse. No, I think she's like buttoning back up because oh, she, yeah, she sure. was boning down with a stranger. That was a uh, that was Merlin. I'm pretty sure. 
it looks like she's gonna have sex with her kid. It <laughs> does. You're saying. you're not wrong. <laughs> like I understand the context of the scene, but like that panel made me go because you don't see that there's anyone else there. You know, mm-hmm. you you see Ali walk in, and then you see his mom talking to him like that, and then but like her hands at her buttons. So the first time you read it, you you would be forgiven for. <laughs> You know? To quote Principal Rooney, oh, so it's that kind of family. (laughs) Well, Principal Rooney's got some skeletons in his closet. Goddamn right he does. (laughs) He's he's one to judge. Yeah. Uh, Um, But yeah. uh, this, This, to me, is the least successful of the sort of three stories about potential futures slash the three stories that are retelling the same tale over again slash, you know, it's it's just, to me, this is, this is just a, a bit of a lazy story. And Ben Percy has been so good. And Eleanor Carlini has been doing great work on Green Arrow as well. This just feels slight. Yeah. It's just mm-hmm. another excuse to have Roy drink toilet wine and Gosh, and to show to show that Ollie Bone Diggle's ex fiance or something. Yeah. Which by the way, nothing happened before then, I swear. I'm not saying that made it right, but it makes it less wrong. What a what a great defense of, of yeah. yourself, Ollie. <laughs> it makes it less wrong. Um this whole thing was just goofy. I did kind of enjoy Roy saying he wish he could wear a Santa hat backwards. Because uh, that, that's enjoy what, is one word. No, because what I was gonna say is that that's one of the things that I goof on Roy Harper all the time about ever since the new fifty two. He hasn't worn yeah. a hat not backwards yet. So, you know. <laughs> yeah. It reminds me of the great tweet about Sufjan Stevens where uh, have you ever seen that one where it's like, all right, we're going to give you a remarkable singing voice and amazing instrumental talent, but you're going to forget how to wear a hat. I'll do it. And then it's like <laughs> nine pictures of him wearing a hat sideways or like incorrectly. Yeah. <laughs> That's does, your Sufjan joke for the yeah, week. He does wear a hat terribly. Yeah, he's Absolutely bad at terrible. wearing a hat. So. Yeah. Yeah. Sufjan, do better with the hats if you're listening. <laughs> um, we know he's listening. Yeah. Another thing about this issue, uh, it was really weird to me that, like, Emiko's fantasy was... Fucking Nightwing? <laughs> bone and Dick, but I guess... Uh, I guess everybody in the... D- if, you know, if it was canon that every single person in the DCU wants to bone Dick, then I guess I'll I'll accept it. If that was also Roy's fantasy too, then it would have like played out a lot. <laughs> oh man, why are we writing? For, for DC? <laughs> That's what a if, great idea. What man. if everyone's story ends with them fucking nightmare? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that, is that like a that has to be like a, from a sitcom or something? I don't know. What, it, it would be Duckamuckus at the end of it. It would be him. <laughs> Writing it and saying, ain't I a stinker? And then putting it his butt. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh, and then and then the real ending is like the ending of that one season of Dallas or whatever, and it's Dick in the shower, yeah. and Bruce comes in and he's like, "Whoa, what's wrong?" Oh, I was just having a crazy dream that I fucked everyone. <laughs> oh yeah. Yep. That was your Looney Tunes joke for the week, um... <laughs> and your Patrick Duffy joke. <laughs> Duffy, 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 Duffy. <laughs> uh, um, anything else to say about this garbage? <laughs> it was at least the fun kind of bad, you know? Yes, yeah. Like, it wasn't dreary. There were so many wacky moments that I, I, I laughed my ass off while not liking it very much. Interesting. <laughs> that's, an interesting, that's an interesting series of emotions to have at the same time. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, anyway. Now we're going to move on to the the home of the most innocent O-Face of the week. Uh, Green, Hal Jordan, the Green Lantern Corps. This is written by Robert Venditti uh, with art by Tom Derenick and Jack Herbert. Um, the, like, the kid... Green Lantern is a series it is a, a series of O faces the whole time. <laughs> oh gosh. Wait, are you talking about the like Z- Zedarian? Yes, yeah. Oh man, okay. Uh, if that's what you think a Zedarian O face looks like, I guess. So. I mean, I know from experience. <laughs> uh she kind of looks like I'm the baby got to love me. <laughs> that's a stone face. <laughs> For the Stone Age, get it? The dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah, yep. we got I, it. I just saved you from her watching the show Dinosaurs. That's pretty much all it was. It's just jokes like that. So, not the mama. Yeah, gotta love me. Um, this issue is not terrible, but it's not very good. No, much like many issues of said series. well said you know i think it's funny i think i like a lot of the elements that venditti is playing with here but then i feel like i i don't know i read the there's just too much dialogue and i think like all right he, he like people don't talk like this this is all exposition um yeah I don't know. There's stuff I think I like here, but I can never, I can never really sort it out from just a what feels like a really boring read. You know, he doesn't um, do anything surprising with any of the lanterns. Like everybody acts exactly as you expect them to act, and that makes for boring comics. Yeah, and I guess like like you know like uh, Hal and Kyle get their like bro bro talk moment where they talk about their gals. And uh, rather than that feeling organic or feeling like this is something that's ongoing in their lives, it feels like, oh, shit, we need to put a couple lines about that in this comic to remind everybody that, you know, not that long ago, Hal almost tried to rekindle with Carol and Kyle's going through some stuff like none of it feels none of it feels organic. It just feels like bullet points we got to hit, you know. 
Yeah. And well, and while I like some of those bullet points, it's just not happening in a satisfying way. The one, the one emotional beat that I liked was when John Stewart was watching the new lantern go and like try out the constructs that to me felt like a very warm moment for John where he actually like, he's often the de facto leader of the lanterns. And to me, that means that he has like sort of an advisory or teacher mentor type role. Mm -hmm. But I feel like we very seldom actually feel that or experience that. And I feel like this was a warm opportunity for that to happen. Um, but that's about the nicest thing I can say about this. This otherwise pretty boring. I think the issue. art was fine. I like Jack Herbert. Yeah. Zach. Mm. Mm. Yeah. It's fine. All right. Well, let's let's take a quick break here. We'll be back in just a second with more TVCast. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back. Uh, <laughs> to show you what a, what a weird headspace man right now, I almost just said, it's time for the Justice League 3000 annual. <laughs> Thank goodness it's not. Uh, it's time for the Justice League of America annual, number one. Oh boy! Written by Steve Orlando, illustrated by Kelly Jones. Uh, yeah, here we go, boys. What are we doing here? <laughs> I I really liked this, except for one aspect: the art. The art. Oh, I loved all of it. Oh, this man. is the best issue of Justice League of America. Yeah, for sure. I I'm with you. Yeah, there. I- it, it was it was a real mixed bag, and that's why I have no idea what to think about this issue. But I do have one very important question for you that is suggested but never established. The other, are you pronouncing it Caesarian? Is that? Uh, so, I always say Zarnian. Zarnian. Okay, yeah. I'm not. Really, yeah. I'm not looking at the word at the moment. Uh, the other Zarnian. Is that supposed to be sexy Lobo? I don't. No. Because at one point he says, you took my family name and, like, ran all over the galaxy with it. And wasn't that the whole point, that, like, that was the real Lobo? And that oh the, the one we So know, this is stupid, sexy Lobo? I think, right it, here? I think it might be, but it's not sexy at all. <laughs> it's, uh, it's beauty is in the eye of the beholder, Lobo. It's, it's, it's a rough-looking dude. I would have liked this even more if i would have realized that if that was what it was supposed to be is that what it's supposed to be well i don't know now i'd have to like reread the issue because this is literally i did not think of that at all like i think kelly jones is i mean kelly jones like he's such an amazingly 90s artist right like this is 
This is mm-hmm. the most 90s that this book could ever be or will ever be. But the downside of Kelly Jones is that no character looks the same panel to panel. Every Everyone's face is made of, made of Play-Doh, and it's always a windstorm. Like Everybody is always just slightly changing. See, and I don't get it. I got I was on uh, I was on with Mike and Greg and I admitted to not being a Kelly Jones fan and they acted like I just I I don't know what. Took a shit on both of their heads <laughs> or something. And I'm reading this and I'm like and and I, and you know, don't tell me he was better in the 90s or whatever because I've read that stuff too. I'm reading this and I'm just like I don't get it. <laughs> I love this story, but like I don't get what people see in this art. I I kind of liked the art because it reminded me a lot. Strangely enough, it reminded me a lot of um, like early issues of Sandman, which is yeah, I can not see what this is at all. But I still liked it. But um, let me just say, I think I've just disproved my sexy Lobo story. Uh-huh. Because the the dialogue, I, I read it quickly. It says, you took my family name and soiled it across the spaceways. You made Trib synonymous with cowardice, with hypocrisy. So he's saying he took the name Trib and soiled it. Whereas oh, I thought he meant Lobo. So again, right, not, yeah. not Sexy gotcha, Lobo. Gotcha. My bad. I, I think didn't Sexy it. Lobo get trapped in a, uh, he got trapped in a Brainiac bottle in Green Lantern, right? <laughs> didn't that happen? <laughs> That yeah. did happen. That's that's a sentence that is factually correct. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> this is this is this is so good though. Like this is never Steve Orlando is never better than when he's writing Lobo dialogue. It's so good. He's the only guy that could make me want to read Lobo saying frag like every other word. Uh you wouldn't have read like a Grant Mount Grant Morrison 52 spinoff, uh, Dolphin God Lobo. When, when, where was that? I'm saying if it existed. Oh, if it existed. Yeah, of course. You, well, you, said, you said Orlando's the only guy who would want you to read that. Whoever has been able to make okay. me want to, you know, okay. if for some reason Grant Morrison gets a bug in his ass that he wants to write Lobo, by all means, by all means. Yeah, this is anyway, a... this was great. Dolphin love. So much dolphin love. Yeah. I love that this is a two person team. Like it it felt like a throwback to the days when there were team books where like for one issue you would only see two members of that team hanging out on like their day off or whatever. I feel like team books don't do that anymore. You know, like do yeah. they never do issues. They never do issues like this anymore. And you really got like an insight into like a potential uh, push and pull friendship between. And I put that in air quotes, Black Canary and Lobo, you know, like you get them feeling one another out and then like coming to an understanding. And it's just it's it's kind of a, a song and dance that you never get in a team book because you don't have enough time. Mm -hmm. I really dug it. Yeah. What's so frustrating to me about this issue is that there are pages and panels where I think Kelly Jones is like spot on. 
and there's pages and panels where I think it's just, I mean, his, his Lobo looks like Kurt Russell in one panel and literally the next panel you see him in, he looks like, I, I don't even know. Like this is, there, there's no like, consistency whatsoever. Mankind, the wrestler. I could buy that. Sure. <laughs> uh, it's just, you know, I understand that it's all about like being expressive and telling a story visually and that you shouldn't worry about the draftsman element as, as much. And I agree with all that in principle, but there's a certain point where I feel like that it starts to flip the other way for me. Yeah. I, Cause I don't think the, I'm, I'm going to sound like a, like a comics Luddite saying this about Kelly Jones, but I don't think the storytelling aspect of it is that strong either. You know, did Kelly Jones do the uh, Road Road Runner? Yeah, the Lobo Road Runner. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Greg loved that issue too. Because like Kelly Kelly Jones is historically a, a Lobo artist, right? Is that maybe? I thought he had done. Yeah. He. Yes. Yep. Uh, there was oh, a, yeah. uh, now I, I can't find anything now. Are you sure I didn't make that up? Well, at the very least there were some covers, right? Like weren't there covers that he used to do for Lobo? I don't know. Now I'm maybe like thinking I'm just speaking out of turn here. Yeah, it could be. I don't know. Well, he's a Lobo guy now. He's done more Lobo stories in the last year than, uh, the not, I guess. So, <laughs> just like go. how I took the bus once, and now I'm a big bus guy. You're Mister Public Transportation. I'm, I am. I'm big time commuter. Key to the city, Vince Ostrowski. <laughs> you are to buses what Joe Biden is to Amtrak. That's <laughs> yeah. Uh, don't run for president, please. I Not love you, Joe. Joe. Don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, all right, let's talk about Mister Q. Because I think we're going to have a lot to say about this book. Uh, what does that mean? It's really good, I think. Uh, written by Alyssa Quitney, illustrated by Mike Norton. Um, this is a... Uh, this is um, Hogwarts in the DCU. I mean that in a good way. 100%, yeah. Um, Zach, what did you think of this issue? Man, I really liked it. Um... It was it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was exactly that. It was Hogwarts in the DCU. It felt I I've been like a big proponent of um for a while the idea of Harry Potter comics. Like, I think that's just a thing that probably needs to happen. If of all the like ways that they could continue that story, like, and it needs to be at boom. Those are my two things. <laughs> um, but like I'm on a tangent, but this is like the closest to my idea of that. Um, and it felt like it had a very X-Men vibe also. Mm -hmm. It felt like magic X-Men mm -hmm. in the DCU. I'm nodding. It, 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 I'm nodding what? like that. I'm nodding like that Jack Nicholson gif from uh, <laughs> The Departed at everything you're saying, Zach. It's just like it was so good, and I didn't expect to like this very much. Why not? 
Oh, just because I sometimes out of continuity stuff. Um, like it's not else worlds for me are kind of hit and miss, and that's what you know. This felt like from what I had read about it or what I knew about it, very Elseworldsy, and I didn't know if I would if it would fall on the side of like me caring or me not caring, and it very much fell on the side of me caring. I don't know if this is supposed to be out of continuity now. You don't think? I don't know. I, I, Zatanna kind of messes that all up for me, considering we just saw yeah, it. Yeah, and like Enchantress doing things. But, like, but the whole point of this story is that like, at least if I'm reading it right, that like reality's been rewritten multiple times. And so this could be before our current reality. Okay. I also think, like, it, it also... It also doesn't matter. Very much... Right. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was going to say. It, like, struck a chord where it really doesn't matter, like, where or when. I feel like it's going to end up being a really good story in and of itself. Um, but, man, it's so fun. It, the art is fantastic. And so many does. cool... Yeah, yeah, he is. And so many cool nods to... Um, Again, things like Sandman and um, the stuff that inspired Sandman, you know, old House of Mystery, House of Secrets stuff. Um, yeah, uh, it's so good. There were a ton of, of really cool little moments where for longtime readers like us, you were you were nodding and saying, like, yes, this is this is great. That's Felix Foss's son. Like, there's all these great little moments. But I feel like you could give this book to a brand new comics reader, and they would have no trouble following it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think Whitney did a, a an amazing job of also capping capping this issue off in a way that makes it almost a one shot you know like you could you could have you could end it right here yeah really and just say like you know hope this is a team that you may see again in the future hopefully but Zatanna died know, back on the way to her home planet yeah basically yep yep uh, so man i just thought it was fantastic and like legitimately funny you know mm. there's so much funny stuff that the character that runs away <laughs> like when he first runs away, you don't realize that he's literally run away for good, you know? Yes. <laughs> and yeah. then someone, someone mentions it later, like there's been a mysterious disappearance of a student or something. And then that, that like, when I read that part, it made me think, oh, he's going to come back as, like, uh, he's either going to redeem himself or he's going to be, like, screw something up later. Right, right, yeah. And then you see him at the end and he's just at home. He just, like, quit. <laughs> like so good <laughs> like what, most writers wouldn't uh wouldn't wouldn't bother to land that joke but right but because she did it's just fantastic mm -hmm. oh yeah and you know what this really i i said i drew the x-men comparison earlier but even more so this reminds me of um jason aaron's wolverine and the x-men yeah a lot which I love that run so much. Although no, no dupe. Well, well, we've got of. goop. We've got goop or whatever his name is. I was, Stop. I was, I was hoping you. Yeah, I was gonna say I was hoping you guys would would take that bait. So uh, thank you for doing <laughs> that. Yep, we got plop. 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 
flopped. That's what it is. Um, yeah. Oh man. Good. Really good. Really good. One, one, uh, bit of Mike Norton art that I want to point out is on page 22 of our PDF anyway, uh, where Zatanna's trying the illuminate spell uh-huh. and she's like reaching, she's like reaching towards the reader to like cast the spell. Mm-hmm. There are so many artists that would draw that and make it look totally screwy or like not natural. Mm-hmm. That looks like a hand pointing out to us, you know? Yeah. Like, man, so many artists like fuck stuff like that up <laughs> and Norton doesn't. Norton does a really good job too of making characters that look like they are actual people in real life. And I don't mean that they're photorealistic. I mean that his characters, like, you know, some some artists have, like, the, the same face thing going on, where no matter what emotion their characters are feeling, their face looks the same. Norton is the opposite of that. Norton's characters are incredibly expressive, but they, but unlike Kelly Jones, you know in every panel who you're supposed to, who you're looking at. Like, his characters mm-hmm. are so expressive, and they all look like themselves, and he's just, he's fantastic. Yeah, well, and consider, like, uh, uh, like, Mr. E's face, who's got this, like, chiseled, like, Don Draper-style face, and versus, like, um, you know, some of the other characters that have, like, distinct noses. Like, every character has a different nose, and... Every character mm-hmm. has different ears, you know. <laughs> like they're legitimately different down to the individual body parts. Yeah. yeah. And this, I mean, that kind of gets down to, you know, we had that conversation a few weeks ago when I was talking about how like nondescript Lois looks a lot of the time. Yeah. But this is this is the opposite of that. I mean, here you have characters who could just be seen as kind of nondescript human people you know but everyone looks like a distinct character you know um yeah like this is how you how you create this is how you draw characters who have distinct looks um and it's so good i'm looking at that splash page where um zatanna first comes to the university and just how many how how much is going on in that one that one page? It's so good. I want this to be can I want yeah, I want this to be the new reality of the like mystic magic side of the DCU. Well, we're gonna see another great mystic character in the next two books. Let's um, mm. that in a second. <laughs> uh, anything else to say about this issue? Uh, I'm really, I mean, how many issues is this? Is this four? I believe it's four or six. Oh man, I hope it's six. Or is it three? I'm sorry, I'm I'm full of shit here. Um, Let's see. Oh, I think it might be three. Um, The cover does not say. I'm I'm holding the physical issue in my hand. Uh, It's only issues one and two have been solicited right now. Oh, you know what? This might be on the um, Supergirl being super type release schedule. 
It is bi-monthly, yeah. yeah. Hmm. Oh, well. Herm. <laughs> Herm. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's talk about this new talent showcase. I mean, showcase. Um... <laughs> Guys, this is so bad. I, um, okay, it is bad. But can I want to talk about the things that were good? Okay, and there were a few. There were a few bright spots. I'll give you that. I, I would read at least the first three issues of both the this this Doctor Fate book and the Poison Ivy books. Yes. Dr. Fate yeah. specifically for me. Um, Poison Ivy for me specifically. That that to me was the best for my money that was the best story. So I, I, I and hey and like it or not we're going to read the first issues three issues of the Duke story. Oh gosh. You're no. <laughs> I think it's interesting here um it's a lot easier to get a feel for whether or not I like an artist in these, you know, short little stories than it is the writer. Mm -hmm. um, I I couldn't really get a feel for any of these. I mean, a few of them, a few of the writers made more of an impression in terms of their voice, especially whoever did that Nightwing story. Oh yeah, Al Letson. Al Letson, yeah. I feel like I got a feel for Al Letson. Um, that issue was really wordy, but not. I mean, I don't say that in necessarily a bad way. That I had, I had very few problems with that story. Right, like I liked. I actually liked the the voices in Dick's head. Yes, bit, yes. The talking heads. I thought that was like a really nice touch. Um, but you know, some some of the other stories are either the dialogue is just kind of you know very very Spartan utilitarian or. Or there's just like way too much, and I can tell right off the bat that I don't particularly care. But um, the the two stories that I like the most, the Poison Ivy and the Doctor Fate, I, I feel like I had a hard time pegging the writers, but I instantly fell in love with the the art. Oh, can I say? Let me just say this about the Poison Ivy of Owl going back, the writer. Mm -hmm. He he was the one writer in this whole thing that I felt uh, best understood that this is a visual medium and that you he could, he felt like he could stand back and get sparse with his dialogue at times. Right. Every, he, everything he gave else the artist the most breathing room by far. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everything else was overwritten. And I felt like, I felt like the, the big lesson that he took from the writer's workshop was to not be afraid to to let that happen. And that's why it's my favorite. It ended up being my favorite because I felt like the words that were there were needed and were an interesting angle into poison Ivy. And then he stepped back and was like, once we get to the action, this doesn't need very many words. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was like the, it, it was an astonishing amount of uh, writer's economy for somebody who is inexperienced at writing comics. I mean, we you've got longtime writers that still struggle with overwriting, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So let's I really this. appreciate that. In the interest of time, let's just go through the stories very quickly and just um, do our patented um, uh, pull pirate or pulp. Gotcha. 
So, uh, the Duke story by Tony Patrick and Minky Young. Pirate. Um, pretty, pretty close to a pulp. I'm pulping I'm gonna, this shit. I'm pulping it. Yeah, man, I do not feel great about that Duke. <laughs> I hated this story. Hated it. It was pretty not great. I mean, it was really stupid that they're that they're training to kill all these <laughs> villains when they don't kill. Yeah, there's yeah. no logic at all here. Yeah. It had uh, the Joker's crowbar, which is the one thing we've talked about we never needed to see again. Uh, yeah. Garbage. I, I like Minky Young's art, and that's got me the, a faint pirate. I thought the art that. was a little stiff, actually. Yeah. I'm generally a fan, but I thought this was a little stiff. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think you both are a little stiff. Well. <laughs> all right. Uh <laughs> Let's get to the thing we all obviously need more of: Suicide Squad stories. Oh, God, so there were, there were two of them. Two. Oh yeah, baby, yeah, there were. So this is a katana oh. one to the hilt, written by Aaron Gillespie, illustrated by Lynn Yoshi. And I don't, again, this book, this story visually was very nice, uh, but God, this is a boring story. So much. Yeah, pulp. <laughs> this is a pulp. I, yeah, this is a pulp. Yeah. Although I will say. I would prefer this to what Rob Williams is doing. Oh, by, yeah, by a long shot. I guess. Did you mean by a dead shot? But a... <laughs> I will say, I thought when I first looked at the first page, I thought Katana was missing an arm because she's like holding her her like her arm across her belly, but there's a rip in her the shoulder of her costume, and it kind of looks like her arm was ripped out. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, that brings us to the Nightwing story, which uh, written by Al Letson, illustrated by Sia Oum. Oum? Oum? I'm sorry. Um, I'm with Zach on this. I, I, this is, a, this is a, a pirate that I would possibly pull. Yeah, it's a pirate plus for me. Um, solid pirate here. Yeah, yeah. The art is the art is good, and mm-hmm. I, I felt like it had the strongest voice of all the books. It certainly took the most chances. Like mm-hmm. in some ways, you can say they kind of tried to cheat the system. It's a Nightwing story, but if you involve the whole Bat family, that's not quite telling a Bat Nightwing story. But I thought mm-hmm. that it, it did just enough of the Bat Family stuff. And I felt like the entire Bat Family was written in a in a accurate and varied way, you know? Yes. That that Babs that interjected every once in a while is the same Babs that could be in Batgirl right now. Right. You know? Yeah. Um same with Damien. Same with same with Bruce. I, I felt like this Bruce was a little lighter, but that's what I want from Right. Bruce. Yeah. You know, I, you know, it did sort of, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a little bit sick of everyone's hot take on Batman being that he needs a family. Like, you know, so there was a little bit too much of the family. Just, it'd be over the head with it. But this is a short story. You have to you have to be direct with it. So I understand why it was there. Um, 
All right. Uh, the Poison Ivy story, I think we're all three of us are pulling, right? <sighs> that was so good. I think that's my favorite. And uh, Matt Murhoff. I think that was my favorite of the issue. Yeah. It's my second favorite, but I, I think it's quite good. I I want this to be a book. Like, I want Supernatural, Demon Hunter, <laughs> Poison Ivy, Green Adventures. Uh, which, like, puts her and Harley's relationship in canon, too, like, as being there. They say that they're in love in this. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was a great touch, her pulling out the li- Harley lighter. Yeah. What an amazing <laughs> touch, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's like a lot of a lot of uh artists would just draw a generic lighter there you know mm-hmm. <laughs> and, oh and, and and he doesn't have to again he doesn't have to write like oh that's right i have harley's lighter right. you know like no it, we get it uh speaking of making harley and uh ivy in love here i forget which story but one of these stories dropped the word shit as well Oh really? Yeah. And Capstan, I kind of sp- speed read a lot of these. <laughs> yeah. Was it the Snyder one? Did he get? Did he get a little? Uh, I don't believe so. But I professor's be... privilege there. Uh, mm-hmm. I could be wrong. I read this on an airplane, so I'll, I'll try to find it. We do like our swears on this show. We do. Um, all right. So next up is the story written by Proctor and Harold, illustrated by uh, Lalit Sharma, and this was a Deadshot story. Which, again, we don't need more of. This Um, was a real stinker. (laughs) I actually think this... this, I think this might have been the one with shit in it, actually. Oh. Oh, you're not wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Zach, you kick ass. No. Yeah. Is it canon? Oh, yeah. Like, is is this a, is that part of like Floyd Lawson's story that he killed his little brother on accident? When I didn't die, our piece of shit father sold me to someone yeah. even worse. Oh, that's nice. Oh. I don't know if that's part of Deadshot's origin, but you know, Man, you know? I hated this. It was so dark and. Yeah. Miserable and Amanda Waller, stop being all my comics. <laughs> yeah, please, please stop showing up. Yeah, there uh, was a time. There was a time when I just wanted like the bigger Amanda Waller back. You know, you wanted the wall. Yeah, you wanted the wall. And now that she's back, I'm like, okay, but la- way less, please. <laughs> <sighs> all right. Then we have the Doctor Fate story, written by David Acampo, illustrated by Sam Loft- Lofty. And uh, visually, this this story was so great. Mm-hmm. Uh, a yeah, lot, a lot of really interesting magic imagery. I thought that it handled the sort of going insane. It it, it looked like Kent was going insane, but not like the typical over the top insanity that gets drawn a lot of times in comics. I it- I enjoyed this a lot. Yeah, it looked like a sweaty, like a sweaty, like uh, Charles Burns or something insane yeah. version of insanity, you know, <laughs> like mm-hmm. like just a gross, but in a good way. Yeah, this is obviously yeah. very different than how Sonny Lou drew Doctor Fate, 
but I mm-hmm. can see there there being a little bit of connective tissue between these two artists. There definitely is, yeah, which I thought was interesting. I also felt like of all the of all the stories, this one felt the most like ready made to just go into an ongoing. You know, like it felt set up, like like set up for something more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ooh, that's one thing. One thing I'll say about all of these stories in general, I'm really glad that they didn't say, okay, you have to do like, remember how the last new talent book was like half stories that seem to all have like a missing second half. Yeah. Missing second half or like lots of baggage that you had to like infer or like was going to happen i felt like none of these like that wasn't the strategy anymore yeah Mm -hmm. which which helped because i feel like even though i didn't enjoy this very much it was a much easier read than the agreed or or one that a a, a read that went down easier yeah than that previous one last year yeah and then we got our last story the wonder woman story written by scott scott snyder illustrated by abraham mustafa both of whom i like and this story was fine. Mm-hmm. Mustafa's art is great. Yeah, I love I love Mustafa's art. He should be getting regular, regular jobs at DC or Marvel or whatever. Um, the story was it, it was what it was. It was fine. Yeah, yeah. I I think that this is actually a much better comic than the first New Talent Showcase, but the lows are still so low to make it really, really a drag to read. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what wasn't a drag to read, guys? The Super <laughs> Sons Annual. Man. <laughs> Just when I thought I couldn't love this book anymore. <laughs> Cuckoo Kajub. Yeah, I love that. Oh, God, I love that. That was great. Um... Yeah, Tomasi beating, uh, well, I got, and we did see Detective Chimp in Metal already, didn't we? He was in issue three, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Um. <laughs> so great, though. Crypto flying uh, Titus around mm-hmm. by his leash <laughs> and streaky and streaking crypto's beef i uh yeah that was there was some surprising pathos there yeah, yeah. my uh my daughter came over to me when i was reading this she said what are you reading my daughter about? my daughter and she sat and she she can read a little bit but she's not at a reading level to read a comic yet but she followed the entire story pretty much with me because it's just paul pelletier is so great and the story is so easy to tell with the with the lack of dialogue, it was just it was great. It was so much fun. I love the super pets. Give me more super pets. I just I wasn't expecting this issue to be like as all out as it was. Like when we got to the detective champ part, and he's like, "Oh, so you want to get the super pets back together?" And then there's that great scene where it's um you know he's kind of reminiscing and doing the roll call and they're all yep. just standing there in, in clay critter. Is that a thing? Like, is that a character that's existed before? Not that I'm aware of, but that doesn't mean it's not 
a thing. Right, right. I, that was just such a great touch considering, you know, Clayface is probably at his, like, highest billing ever right now with, with Detective. Yeah. Um, this is Clay Critter's only issue. <laughs> He's like a little... Uh, sorry, they. I don't want to gender the yeah. clay critter incorrectly um uh what there's like an there's like a story oh you know what i'm thinking of i'm thinking i'm thinking of ren, ren and stimpy agiokio <laughs> <laughs> i haven't thought of agiokio in uh just 25 years <laughs> he looks like a little agiokio Wow. Oh, jeez. Uh, but but Clay Critter died, though. That was sad. Yeah. Yeah, it was. Yeah, burnt burnt to a solid crisp. Um, This is a... But really, there's there's nothing better than this issue. This no. is... This is just so much fun. I mean, Aquaman, Aquaman Annual 1. Well, yeah. There. But, like, but this is... <laughs> It's a totally different kind of comic, though. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> so great. All right, we're gonna lo- of- go ahead. Sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, I loved uh, where like uh, uh, Crypto takes a little time out to go on the merry-go-round and like yep. stick his tongue out, and just so many nice little details in this. Mm-hmm. Fun, fun, fun shit. Yep. We're going to take a very, very short second break, and then we're back with our top 10 comics. He's coming out right now. Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together, we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at MultiversityComics.com. Each week, we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month, we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed, like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinbro, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe. Subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back with our hotly anticipated top ten DC books right now. So, just some... This one's gr- for you, Paul. Yeah, this one's for you, Paul. Um, just some ground rules here. We decided there had to be at least two issues out of this. We, we call this the Trinity Clause because <laughs> at least two of us had Trinity in our top ten Last time we did this, and it just had one issue out, and we <laughs> were not big fans of that book anymore. So, this is at least two issues must be out. Uh, you can do miniseries, Young Animal, Wildstorm, Digital First. I'd want to do it. Um, yeah, Hanna Barbera. Hanna Barbera, sure. If you want to? If actually Mutley wants to be your number one, who might have stopped you? So close. All right, Vince. You said you have an honorable mention. My honorable mention is uh, Ben Percy's Teen Titans. Um, we'll talk about that one later. Ooh, that that one actually probably would have been my honorable mention as well. So, yeah, pulling out for Teen Titans. Yeah. Um, do we want to go from the uh, 
from the bottom up or the top down? Gotta be bottom up. Okay, who wants to go first? I'll go. All right, go ahead, Vincey. Number 10, Mr. Miracle. That's on my list, too. Me as well. We'll talk about it later. We'll talk about it at, we'll a time, it later. at its highest point, yeah. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right, Zach. Um, so my number 10 is New Superman. We'll talk about that later. That just missed my list. Oh. It, it missed it for a specific reason. I'll get to it in a second. Because, okay, so my, <laughs> my, my number 10 was between New Superman and this book. But I chose this book because this is the last chance I have to choose this book. Mm. And that is Superwoman. You guys know I've been a big fan of this book. I love the sort of Metropolis cast of characters, John Henry Irons, all of that. The book's going away. This is my spot that would have been for New Superman, but I felt like that book's sticking around. This could, that could be on my list next time. This is it for this book. So pour one out for Superwoman. Yeah, I yeah, I it didn't make my list. Maybe it would have made the bottom of the top f- fifteen, but it's a nice little book. It, you're right about all the Metropolis stuff. For a while there, before Action Comics got good again. <laughs> In my estimation, uh, that was my fix for, you know, Lex and Lana and Lois and everybody. Um, yeah. So what's your number two, Vince? My my number nine? No, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Detective Comics. We'll talk about that later. Definitely talk about it later. Zach, number nine? Number nine. Um, nine. Number nine. <laughs> My number nine was Shade the Changing Girl. We'll talk about that later. Just missed my list. Jesus Christ, Brian. We you're can't not, all agree. I know. We can't all agree. And you're not going to argue with any of my choices. I really don't think you will. Um, okay. All right. My number two is Teen Titans. All right. You uh, really got to start saying the numbers from the bottom up. I'm sorry. Number Number nine. <laughs> You know what Teen it is? Titans. You know what it is? I, I've, I've been tallying year in review for two weeks. Oh, and yeah. And so all of that is written in reverse. So that's why I'm, I'm, I'm actually changing the numbers on my sheet right now. There you go. Okay. Uh, Teen Titans. Number nine, Teen Titans. Yeah, I was slow to come around on this book, but I love it. It's super fun. It's everything I kind of want in a Teen Titans book right now. I will like it even more when hopefully in a few months Jaime Reyes joins the team. Yeah, I think Teen Titans is one where uh, my my criticisms of the New 52 Teen Titans were, were how disconnected it felt from everything else by design, where where they were running away from legacy, you know? Right. And also they didn't, they felt like, they felt like they were too old for what the age of the Teen Titans is supposed to be, I think. Right. Whereas this felt right. And I got a little scared in that first issue when Beast Boy was like drinking and partying and then they never mentioned it again. Yeah. <laughs> and now Beast Boy is like just back to the old cool Beast Boy who's good again. <laughs> my my one very slight criticism is that it is kind of weird age wise how like some of them are are clearly much older than the others, you know, and all that. But the story's been so good I don't care about those small details. 
Yeah. So what's your number eight? Mine? Uh, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah. Aquaman is number eight. We'll talk that's about that later. Also, that's also my number eight. Ooh. We'll get to that later. All right, Zach, what's... Uh, oh, you already said number eight. Brian, what's your number eight? Uh, the Wild Storm. Oh, we'll, we'll talk, talk about, about that, that later. later. Okay. Vince, right. number seven. <laughs> My number seven is Super Sons. We'll talk about we that later. We'll talk about that way later. <laughs> <laughs> Hell yeah, Zach. <laughs> Zach, what's your seven? Um, my seven is Detective Comics. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> Brian, what's your seven? <laughs> I know what you guys are going to say. My my number seven is Doom Patrol. Oh, we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah, in, a little minute. Bit. in a few minutes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. I love our haphazard format. <laughs> uh, Vince, uh, what is your uh, number six? My number six is The Wildstorm. Um, hold on a second. Zach's writing his list. As yeah. we... No, I changed some things around. I changed my mind. Hold on a second. I'm pr- pretty sure. I'm pretty sure. Wait, what number are we on? Uh, six. six. Okay, we'll talk about it later. Okay. <laughs> Fantastic. Wow. Uh, all right. uh, Zach, what's your number six? My number six is Mr. Miracle. Okay. I already had that. Uh, my number six is also Mr. Miracle. Oh, how about that? Well, let's talk about Mr. Miracle a little bit. Yeah, uh, Tom King is good again. Not he on, is. Not on Batman, but here. And Mitch and is, is very good. Yeah. He's, uh... Can we talk about... Is it okay to... You talked about... He did well on our year-end artist list. I'll say yes. that. Yeah, he did very well on the year-end artist list. We said that, yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, he, he did well, especially considering his relatively uh, low number of issues he worked on this year. Yeah, it was like eight total. Which actually isn't as low as I thought it was going to be. Um, mm. But I have a feeling like the Sheriff of Babylon stuff was all done. Yeah, that actually ended, like, I think the last issue came out in December or November or December of last year. Right, yeah, so I feel like a lot of that... Uh, a lot of that stuff that he he sort of thought he did this year, he maybe actually wrapped up the end of last year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Mr. Miracle, it's it's new gods, it's uh funny, it's sad, it looks fucking gorgeous. What's not to like about Mr. Miracle? And uh finally, Dark Side is. Uh <laughs> you Vince, just said that to sound cool. I uh, <laughs> very well played. Um <laughs> Vince, what's your number five? Doom Patrol. We'll talk about it later. Nice. Uh, Zach, 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 what's your number five? Uh, the Wild Storm. All right. Are, are, are we talking about we'll it? Talking about it, yeah. Did Zach, okay, talk, so, talk about it. It was on someone else's list, right? Was it, it on, on both of your lists? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I just can't remember. Yeah. So, um, Wild Storm is very good. It. I, I have been very surprised. You know, we've talked a lot about how we're surprised at, I think, two things. The pacing, um, just kind of how slow it's been to build this world and, and take its time. And then also um, Ellis's willingness to just kind of 
not worry about any old Wildstorm stuff and just kind of do this in in his in this weird new way. And I think for the most part, it's been really good. Um, it wasn't quite what I expected or wanted necessarily, but it, it's still been very enjoyable. Like Ellis gave me something I didn't know I wanted in a lot of ways. And, and John Davis Hunt has just been the best. Well said. Yeah. I don't think I can do any better than that. That's. Uh, my number five is super sons. We'll talk about it later. That's right. You said much later last time. Mm -hmm. Uh, My number, number four, my number four is new Superman. Talk about it, baby. All right, Zach, did you have that earlier? Yeah, that was my yeah. number ten. Brian, I, I forget. Did you have that on your list? It was. It just. Oh, the list. oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, all right. You, you're a cretin, my friend. <laughs> um, as as the late great Johnny Ramone said, uh, jo- sorry, Joey Ramone. Uh, there's no stopping the cretins from hopping. So. Uh, uh, yeah, for okay. Um, cretin girl. Great. Um. <laughs> One, two, three, four. Cretans want to hop some more. Four, five, six, seven. All the Cretans go to heaven. Hop on it, Potsy. Mm-hmm. Um, new Superman. My number four. I adore the way that this book has carved out a success story for itself in a similar way that, like... Uh, Miss Marvel did over at Marvel with Kamala Khan and not just because there's like a um like a different ethnicity applied to a familiar character like that's not really the comparison I'm making although I think it's a, it's a good one and they're both stronger books because of it um but just the fact that like it's it's uh it's a book that you you hoped would succeed and it's a it's a book that that you love but you just expect to end at some point you know and i i feel like i i feel that way whenever there's uh you know like new characters introduced i always feel like well how long is this going to last you know and uh, it's the new character aspect to me that 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 ends up getting these books canceled a lot and I just, it's still chugging. It's still doing its thing. It's justice league, China, you know, getting its new name or whatever. Um, and it just rules. It's, it's just a completely different book. It's different than anything else. DC's publishing and it confronts its history, the history of DC comics and like the racist aspects of, uh, American media head on. And I love that about it. So, um, fantastic book. Uh, Zach, what's your number four? My number four is Batgirl. We'll talk about that later. We'll talk about that later. Uh, Brian? My my number four is Detective Comics. Let's talk about it. Is it your number four also, Zach? No, that was my number seven. Oh, okay. Um... Yeah, Detective Comics is, like, quietly the best team book that DC is doing. 
It is mixing bat characters in a way I would have never expected. Uh, if you had told me at the start of Re- before Rebirth was announced that the best bat book would be a team book with Luke Fox and Clayface and Azrael as feature characters, I would have never believed you. To me, this is like this is this is what I've wanted from a bat book for years. It has Steph and Cass. It has Tim. It has, you know, just this. It has Batwoman. It has such an interesting mix of the Bat characters. James Tynan is doing the best writing of his career, and he's surrounded by some hell of just this. The best artist that, that the best Bat artists for this type of Bat story. Uh, Alvaro Martinez and Javier Fernandez. No, sorry, Fernandez is on um, Nightwing. Who's the other? Who's been alternating with uh, Alvaro Martinez? Uh, Eddie Barrows. Uh, Barrows, Eddie yeah, Barrows yeah. yeah. Just both guys that are that are great at doing the sort of big, broad action that this book requires, but also each of them are able to do these nice, quiet character moments. We've gotten so much growth from like four or five characters over the course of a relatively short amount of time. And it helps the book is double shipping, but I mean, think about how much Clayface and Azriel and um and Steph and Cass, how much all of them have grown since the book started. It's incredible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's really building off of all the stuff that Tynion did in um like Batman and Robin Eternal too. Yes. In ways I never would have expected. Um the payoffs from that book, which was what, that was like two years ago? Uh more. Um something like that. And we're still getting like so much good stuff from that. Yeah. Anything to add, Vince? No, that's great. All right, uh, number three, Vince. Number three is Shade the Changing Girl. I talk about it. All right. I adore this book. It makes me feel feelings. Um, The way that... The way that... She's not all Megan or Shade or what you know, whoever she is at the time is not always the most sympathetic character. Is interesting to me, um, even though she's the central character of the story. Uh, although, even though she's not always the most sympathetic, she still manages to like hog on my heartstrings sometimes. <laughs> And specifically the way that they uh, wrapped up the storyline where she met Honey Rich from the old TV show that she uh, was familiar with. Life with Honey, I believe. Life with Honey, Mm -hmm. I think so. Uh, That was such a game changer in the way that it it messed with the format a little. It brought Rack Shade back explicitly. Uh, He had an appearance. it was really emotional in in weird ways that I don't expect comics. It it gets to me in a way that comics don't always, that I don't allow them to always claw their way into my heart. So, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it, it does things to me that no other book does. <laughs> fair enough. Weird? No, I, mm-hmm. think it's, I think it's fair. Uh, Zach, talk about your number three. My number three is Doom Patrol. Okay, go for it. All right, so we only got 
a few issues of this book this year. Um, I can't remember exactly how many. It's been notoriously delayed, which what else can we expect from a Gerard Way comic? But every single issue has just been off the wall, bonkers, insane, with so many great ideas. And yet it's still managed to, to tell a, a fairly cohesive and, and really, you know, a, a strong character driven plot. Um, and the Nick Darrington art is fantastic. Um, just as far as like the, the kind of like core of the, of the young animal line, I just feel like it's been really, really solid. I agree with all that. Yeah. The, the, the book has the been Nick great. And thing. yeah, I would say the book has been great and surprising, but nothing as surprising as how much I love Darrington's art. Yeah, it's very good. And it and it maybe had one of my favorite issues of the year in with uh issue number eight. Uh, Which one was the, number eight? Refresh my memory. The getting getting down with kitties issue. Oh, okay. All right, cool. <laughs> <laughs> Um, my number three is Aquaman. Um, you should talk about it. Yeah, I think unless no, nah, you should talk. I had it at eight. Okay. okay. Um, Dan Abnett is telling an incredible Aquaman story. He is joined by the amazing Shapon Sayik on wow. on art for this arc that is that just wrapped up. And it's an Aquaman story that feels both new and and touches on a lot of the classic sort of themes of who Arthur is, you know, a man caught between worlds, etc. Um, for my money, it's the best Aquaman arc I've ever read. And I think this is fulfilling the dream of Jeff Johns, which is to make Aquaman matter, make him cool. Johns tried and failed. I think this, this succeeds. And... Uh, I, I really hope that you know, Abnett is a guy I was not excited about on this book because he had taken over, sort of pre-rebirth, and I almost want to go back and read those old issues of Aquaman to see what he was doing with the character then, because I just absolutely adore what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And Mira is the best she's ever been in this book. Yeah, and she's gonna get her own uh, miniseries too. Yep, she is. Vince, it's your number two. Deathstroke. We'll talk about that later. Mm, we will indeed talk about it later. <laughs> Zach, it's your number two. Uh, Super Sons. Talk ah! about it. Man. So I'll, I will also use this as a as a platform to talk about how bad Superman has been this year. Um, <laughs> yeah. And Wasn't like how, that all of our like number of either one or two last year? Yeah, so. it really was. Like I, I went back and checked, and and this year did start off really strongly with the multiplicity arc yes. that kicked off in January, and the Manchester Black arc wasn't bad, but you know we had the really disappointing uh, Reborn arc. We had all the weird stuff um in the latter half of the year so yeah really sad that that book just kind of missed the mark for me this year but it was okay because super sons 
um, in every way possible filled the void um, because it took all the things that I liked about those issues of Superman we got last year, the fun two-parters um, that were really family-centric and just brought all that home. Um, and man, Jorge Jimenez. <laughs> Amazing. So good. Yes. Um, my number two is Batgirl. We'll talk about that in a second. Ooh. Wait. Okay. Vince, That's my number one. Yes. That's my number one. So I literally meant like one second. For, I was trying to remember when you said Deathstroke. Yeah. <laughs> you just said it right. And number, two. number two. Number two. Okay. Deathstroke. Okay. Yeah. Um, not that Deathstroke did anything wrong. It's just that Batgirl did so many things right. Uh, I think Batgirl has delivered a street level young adult uh, superhero comic that I've been begging for ever since uh, Brian Q. Miller's Steph Brown run that I always talk about and will never shut up about. (laughs) Um, And the fact that this is just as good, if not better at times than that run um, is just such a treat to me. And it probably wouldn't have made it above Deathstroke if it weren't for this last arc, <laughs> which is like Vince Catnip. I think it's doing, DC three Catnip. It's DC three Catnip, but yeah, I don't, I, I don't want to speak for you guys. Uh, putting Babs and Dick together in a little, uh, you know, times past mixed with the present. It, th- that was just such a note perfect arc that I. I, it didn't leave my mind. I couldn't get it out of my mind. I couldn't shake it when I was making this list. I kind of knew it was just going to be at the top because of that. And so kudos to Hope Larson and Chris Wild Goose. And uh, there was a fill-in or two in there, wasn't there? Um, there was a fill There was, I believe, two months in between the two Wild Goose arcs. Yes. At least one. At least one month. From what I remember, one of them was like this weird little ghost story type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just yeah, man, what a that, fantastic book! Was that was the Poison Ivy issue this year? Was that one in there as well? Because I remember really liking that issue. It might have been where they were on the air, where they were on the airplane. Um, I'm gonna check that really quickly. Um, but yeah, it, it was my number two, but it was. Two and one are very close for me this year. I mean, really, okay. I have to say, five through one are really close for me this year. Now, the 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 poison ivy issue came out on December twenty eighth of last year, so okay, just missed it. But yeah, that was my yeah. This book was my number four, but the the top. I I, I would say that like starting with that, those top four books were just. It was so close. Well, Zach, you and I have the same number one, I guess, and that's Deathstroke. Uh, yeah. So I will say, I don't think this year's Deathstroke was as strong as last year's Deathstroke. But this year's Deathstroke was still the strongest superhero comic I read. Mm, yeah, by far. 
I mean, Priest is just doing. I I I'm the guy who didn't want a Deathstroke ongoing, you know. <laughs> um, and we've had enough bad Deathstroke comics to make to make this book seem impossible. But he has done such fascinating work, and the Defiance arc has been something totally different than the first twenty something issues of the book were. But it's been working, and man, I just love this comic. Yeah, and I and I would maybe dial back on on the comment of this year versus last year because this year had the all of the twilight arc which was you know the big um the end of you know kind of the first season and Mm -hmm. i just remember how excited like how much we love those final issues of that arc where all the pieces kind of clicked together and how good that was and then you know, we went from there to the really great um, Lazarus contract crossover and then into Defiance, which while I will agree that Defiance maybe hasn't been as as good as the, the rest of the book has been, it's still been a really fun status quo. Um, and I, I feel like we're not, maybe it's still early enough where we haven't gotten to see all that Priest has going, like all the, all the moving pieces that yeah, he has planned. I agree. This feels to me like maybe the definitive rebirth arc. I mean, re- rebirth book, rather. Just like it feels the most different, it feels the most singular. And while, like I said, maybe its 2017 wasn't as great as its 2016, in in my opinion, or its end of 2015, uh, I just think that this is the most consistently great PC book of the last of the Rebirth era. I don't think it was in 2015, was it? I thought because Rebirth started. Was it? it was you, Rebirth you, in 2015? No, I'm sorry. You're right. You're right. I keep thinking Rebirth's older than it is. It's not quite two yet. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, but yeah. What a book. What a book. And man, put Chris Christopher Priest right back on the map. And, you know, yeah. next week we get to talk about his Justice League. Yeah. Which, uh, spoilers, he still uses the black caption boxes and it's fantastic. <laughs> Uh, well that does it for this episode of the DC3 cast thanks for listening to this extra long episode they're all extra long I don't know what I'm talking about all of our shows are long Um, again go to multiversitycomics.com check out Vince's review of uh, Aquaman Annual check out these boys on This Week in Shonen Jump last week also or two weeks ago rather talking about what did you guys review most recently we reviewed goodnight pun pun and it was a, oh, no, a soul crusher that is manga club oh um, sorry sorry stop I plugging your other podcasts goodnight pun pun though Oof. did you read it no but I listened, read it? I listened to your discussion of it and uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah i won't be i won't be anytime soon but uh what okay i know what both i think i shouldn't jump I think I read Boruto because yes, I'm did. I'm the good Boruto boy. I I wrote I read uh, my 
Magical Witch Hero Academia. Oh, okay. Evangelion. <laughs> My Hero Academia. Yeah, I know. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to throw quite as much shade there as I did. Uh, just FYI. Um, but yeah, check out multiversitycomics.com for all your comics needs. And uh, you can follow all three of us on Twitter. I am at Brian is an app. I'm I'm at a new Twitter account now. Mm-hmm. Um, at Vince Ostrowski. So, uh, you know, Vince plus the way I've always been spelling it on this show. <laughs> Good. Now when I try to find you, I don't have to figure out why I can't find you and then have to go back and type VJ. <laughs> I do it every time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but I'm I'm still at the same same old account, Sirfox eighty nine, and we'll be back next week with uh, the start of Priest Justice League, and uh, a bunch of, and D- DC's new corner boxes. <sighs> They're so, beauts. They are. So until uh, then, good night. No one should want to be the Batman.